Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries and our must-read daily newsletter. On this week's Highways Voices, we talk effective water management. I always teach people about uh, what we can learn from beavers, um, but let's let's think a bit like a beaver here. Essentially, what the beaver does is that they they dam a river or they dam a stream to create amenity for themselves and that's what they do. The ACO group have been manufacturing and selling drainage systems for more than 70 years and we get the benefits of their experience on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices in association with partner organisations the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK, Elkrig and Adept. Now before we start I'm going to admit something. This podcast is being uploaded while I'm on holiday which is why you're not going to hear the usual news stories from Adrian Tatum and Partner News or Adrian's Accolade although you can keep an eye on news and Partner News on the Highways News website plus of course on our social feeds and our daily email which you can get if you sign up at highways-news.com. So let's get straight on to today's interview which Adrian conducts. When planning and designing highway networks, the main priorities have historically been traffic patterns and meeting the needs of road users. However, as priorities change, there's a growing emphasis for the sector to ensure roads aren't only safe for users, but also for the surrounding environment. Added to this is recent extreme weather and the issues of flooding and, of course, extremes of heat and cold. The result of all this has been a shift in attitudes towards how highways are designed and maintained, with surface water treatment playing a more prominent role in this design process. There's a need for the highways industry to ensure measures are in place to positively impact the quality and management of highway runoff given how road networks contribute to water contamination. Adam Kane is sustainability lead at ACO Water Management which has a campaign running at the moment and he gave Adrian more details. We've been running the water positive campaign for a year now roughly a year. Essentially we as a water company, a water-based company, we understand that water is critical to life, is critical to uh, mankind and also biodiversity. And it's a fundamental element of tackling you know, the heat island effect, climate change. Managing it in an effective way is fundamental to containing floods. And it's also fundamental for biodiversity and vegetation as well so we've come up with this campaign uh, water positive essentially enabling people or teaching people how to use water in a positive way by using design and technology for the maximum benefit of the environment around us so what is effective water management if you can uh, imagine that this industry has gone through a huge period of, of recruitment. A lot of senior highways engineers have left the industry. There's more younger, dynamic people coming into the industry that want to be innovative, that want to change the way that they manage their highway network. And obviously, as we said, environment and water management is a, is a big part of that. So you know, in, in your mind, what would be your advice? You know, what is effective water management? Say effective is quite a, a minimal word, isn't it? It's, uh, it's about 
I suppose it's maximizing the benefit of water. Uh, so when we say it's effectively managing it, but trying to mimic the the principles of nature. So we want to make sure that we're, we're essentially we're collecting that water in a, a sensible way, uh, taking it from the highway, reducing the risk of uh, it causing a problem to the road user, the public, or even the natural systems around it. It'd be cleaning that water, um, making sure we're taking out contaminants, you know, those total suspended solids, those metals, those hydrocarbons, the the plastics that come with it as well, and all those microplastics that are entering the systems. And the other element of it is to prevent damage further down the stream, uh, further downstream, sorry, is by holding the water on the site and making sure that we either hold it in natural green suds where there is an allowable element, there's a, a room, there's an allowable room element of it, um, space, sorry, is the word I'm searching for, or holding it underground where you hold it there so and control the rate of it when it's be before it's being released. And of course, the end of that chain is to reuse that water. And when I say reuse, it's uh, you can also say use the water in an effective way as well. So using the water for either reuse, where you're using it for maybe agricultural purposes, you're reusing it with a building fabric, you're using it, a, a good scheme I heard the other day was using it for a golf course where you store the water for a later date and you can actually utilize that water for the benefit and create resilience within the water infrastructure system. Because if we're trying to reuse the water on the site, we're preventing it being carried forward into the system. That means we're not inundating the current infrastructure we have. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of the there is a requirement to update the water infrastructure in this country is in a sorry state. It has been improved, but not improved as dramatically as it probably should. But we can all work together where we can take the pressure off that system and using water on the site and utilizing it for maximum benefit now and also in the future is just fundamental to taking the pressure off those systems. So if that would be essentially effective surface water management. Recently, Echo had a article published on Highways News, which which talked about some of this in detail. In it, there were some facts from the Met Office that talked about between the period of 2009-2018, we saw a 17% increase in the amount of, of rain on extremely wet days. Just more extreme weather, whether it's it's heat, extreme heat, or in this case, water does that does that change the way that we have to manage our our road networks oh yeah 100 percent. so the, the best way of looking at this is that for every degree increase in ambient temperature there's a seven percent increase in suspended water vapor and this roughly translates into between one and two percent increased precipitation now the issue is that it's not like universal. We don't just spread that one or two percent out. It's uh, when you start getting those extreme events, when you get extreme temperatures, then that increases fundamentally the amount of suspended water vapor, and that increases the aggressiveness of storms. So, if we understand the water cycle and the fact of water gets carried up from the sea, it evaporates, it gets pushed towards the land as uh, you get those prevailing winds coming from the west in the UK. And then as they hit the landmass and they start to cool, they can't to condense and then they cause those deluges of rain coming down. So, yeah, and it's the way that we 
we manage that water on the highways is going to be fundamental. It's absolutely unbelievable how big the road network is in the UK. I mean, it connects all our homes, it connects our infrastructure, it connects everything. It's 273,000 miles of road. I can't even remember what it is in, in square meters, uh, but it's, it's huge, absolutely huge amounts of water are coming off that infrastructure and that's only going to increase with with climate change and you know with the points i alluded to just a moment ago so yeah we we have to get a handle on it we have to manage it and we have to manage it again i keep on stressing we have to manage it for the maximum benefit of the amenity for ourselves but also the biodiversity around us which is really suffering at the moment and it has been suffering for the last 70 years and we have to we have to turn it round as a society and one of the, the biggest changes in terms of water management earlier this year was the implementation of Schedule 3 to the Flood and Water Management Act 2010. Tell us what effect that's going to have on, on managing highway networks. Essentially, it will mean that every new development will have to have uh, SUDs implemented on it. And if we follow the same principles as Schedule 3 in Wales, there'll be a SUDS officer or a SAB. What this individual will do is uh, it will be a paid for service and he'll be able to provide recommendations before the application is put in. But they'll also assess in great detail the, uh, the implementation or at least the design and implementation of the actual SUD scheme. And what it will mean is that you'll have to hit key performance indicators for the management of water. These will principally be around quantity and quality elements of the SUDS manual. So that means we'll be dealing with the quantity to prevent flooding, but also deal with the quality of the water before it's connected to any other piece of infrastructure or green infrastructure. Um, and then the idea is to also have a bit more about the amenity and biodiversity elements of it. But I don't want to go too far away from just talking about SUDS, but with the inset or the implementation of the Environment Act and biodiversity net gain, that will answer a lot of the biodiversity questions. So it might not necessarily be integrated into the SUDS approach in terms of the marking and what the Schedule 3 is going to do, but there will be an extra over in terms of developments. We'll have to make sure there's a biodiversity net gain and implement more nature-based solutions. But I just want to stress now that SUDS and nature-based solutions, they're not too independently uh, thought out things. They're very integrated and nature-based solutions can add to SUDS technologies. So it's making sure we, we understand that it's not just about the water management element of it. You're going to have to do that under the, the SABS approach and the Schedule 3, but there also have to be the element of uh, biodiversity net gain and utilising infrastructure in the right way. So if I'm a highway engineer that's never tackled SUDS before, what are the principles that I need to understand before before starting to implement it? Let's break it down into what SUDS actually is. So SUDS is about mimicking nature. Uh, so try and think of it. I always teach people about uh, what we can learn from beavers. Um, but let's let's think of it like a beaver here. Essentially, what the beaver does is that they they dam a river or they dam a stream to create amenity for themselves. And that's what they do. But in doing that, what they're actually doing is that they're dealing with the, they're preventing flooding downstream is the first thing they're doing. So they're building the dam, they're blocking a load of water, they're making amenity for themselves, but they're storing that water there and preventing it going downstream. 
And that has a huge knock-on effect in terms of it's creating all these beautiful, diverse habitats. Of There can be like when they've got flooded grasslands or flooded meadows, they could have lots of trees and things profiting from all of this. And we have to think in case of, if we're going to, we have to hold that water on site and use it for the maximum benefit of that site. The other thing they're doing when they're building their dam without knowing it is they're actually reducing or removing a lot of the pollutants because the pollutants, as soon as the energy mass of the water dissipates, then the particulates settle out, which includes pollutants, and they settle down to the bottom. Though it can create a bit of a toxic soup there, they're preventing that going downstream. So that's the other thing they do. And of course, I keep saying they're creating amenity for themselves. They're, they're using that landmass to bring in food because they like to swim their food into where they, they live in underneath their dam. And of course, they've got a massive knock-on effect. And if we balance that with what we do or what we would like to do is that you know we want to create walking routes around uh, water and around the, the different areas that we've created. And that could be anything from a road where you've got a road where you've got swales either side and you've got trees growing in that swell, but you've got a walkway within that that enables people to have free passage through. And of course, then what they actually do for biodiversity and is unbelievable because they create such a diverse range of habitats, which is what we need to do on our highways and what we need to do with our infrastructure. Then that allows for a greater ingress of different species of plants and animals and invertebrates. And of course, when you have invertebrates coming in number at the bottom of a food chain, then that goes up throughout the food chain in terms of birds and mammals and all that kind of stuff that feed off them. When we can do that with our infrastructure in terms of when we slow the flow of water down, when we, we hold the water on the site and we try and manage it there and encourage them the natural ingress of plant species or even plant them, then that will in encourage the ingress of invertebrates and other small species, which then go up through the food chain. So basically think like a beaver, I suppose, is the best way of looking at it and try and find articles of where they've been released and how they've been released and what effect that's actually having and try and think of the way that just slowing the water down, mimicking the natural system and if you want to get into the technical element of it in terms of what they, what a highway engineer would actually look out for in terms of if they were going to do the, let's say, design, they would have to match the, the greenfield response. And, that is the, and that's the natural way that the environment responds to any given rainfall event. And that means that they go, you match the amount of water coming off. So what might happen is a, a natural greenfield might only have like 20 litres a second coming from it. So when you do a post development and you've just you basically just put a load of uh, concrete and tarmac and all that kind of stuff, that could increase to 50 or 60 uh, liters a second. So you've got to max the rate of the previous rate of the greenfield response. And that's also the same for the volume of water coming from a site, which is slightly more complicated to actually explain in terms of the different options you have. But essentially the the, the pre greenfield might be let's say 500 cubic meters, it might shed off the top of it. Um, whereas in the post-development, it might be closer to 2,000 cubic meters of water. So you've got to try and max the amount of water that's retained on the site and store it while you're releasing it slowly into the natural system to prevent inundation further downstream. I Hopefully that wasn't too complicated. 
No, and just 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 finally on Suds, would you give us a couple of scenarios or a couple of projects that you you've worked on? We are going to be exploring those in more detail in the rest of the series of these podcasts with with Echo Water Management. But if you could give us a couple of examples, that'd be great. Two, I've I've moved quite away from the uh, the specification side of things, but as the Leicester was a really good example of where we implemented SUDS or helped the designer or contractor and uh, consultant implement SUDS. We worked with three supermarkets and the whole idea of that particular site was to try and manage the water in a, in a smaller area and try and keep things as high up on the site as possible, which is epitomizes SUDS. And we, we use channel drainage systems on the site itself and a series of swales where the water would fall into but the idea of that particular site was we use interception losses and uh, we kept the outfall. Uh, that means the outfall connected to the, uh, say, the sewer or what it was connected to it. It was actually connected to more natural systems, I think. Uh, but the idea was to keep the outfall higher so that the water would stay in the actual suds feature itself. And then it would either infiltrate into the ground or evapotranspirate through the plants on either side of the actual swale. So that was a really interesting scheme in the way that we utilize technology and design for the maximum benefit of biodiversity on that site. And the biodiversity thrives in the actual the swale itself because it's got pretty much permanent access to a body of water. And another one that we mainly delivered, it was called Ashridge Farm, but and we mainly delivered the biodiversity products for it or biodiversity supporting products. But what they did was it was quite a nice social value project as well as a very well-engineered engineering project. But they took water from the local housing development and essentially they put it into a wetland area. And there was a wetland area on one side of the road and the housing development was on the other. What they did is utilize the water. So the water would fall on the housing development, it would fall on the road. It would then go into the wetland area where it would clean the water and connect with another larger body of water, which was a, a, a stream that had already run through that area. So it was creating a series of pools that then could all be, they would be used to clean the water and cl uh, clean it of contaminants before then entering a much larger water system. And the beauty of that scheme was the fact of they encouraged biodiversity into it. They carried out planting. They had large swales, which would collect the water before it went into the wetland areas. And, and they also integrated, because it was led by the local council, they also integrated the local communities into it by having several walkarounds and then inviting schools to understand the civil engineering principles. And for us, we were it was a, it was a good project to be part of because... It also had lots of biodiversity measures. So it really did tick the, the dealing with the water quantity element, dealing with the water quality element of it. It had the amenity where people could walk around the site and also had amenity with educational programs they set up. And it had the biodiversity measures that we assisted with where we were having connectivity under the road network using a series of tunnels and guide walls to make sure invertebrates and other or mammals didn't get uh basically run over on the road itself and of course there was loads of other biodiversity measures they did from bird boxes to bat boxes to escape ladders out of gully pots which are really important on the highway and also recessed curbs which were essential to make sure that small mammals and, and uh, frogs invertebrates don't fall into the gully pots because 
once they're in there, if they haven't got a means to escape, then they get trapped. Their life's done. They can't go into the food chain to support any other of the ecosystem. And they then become a toxic mess as well because they just they waste away. And when then the gully sucker has to come along and remove the toxin materials built up over time. So those were two examples of schemes that we've we've worked on. And also, Adam, going back to the design of roads, what more can be done at the design stage, working with highway designers, highway engineers and water management experts like yourselves to to mitigate flooding and and other issues that we've talked about during this podcast? I think uh, the key thing is just collaboration. Just open up, talk to not only us. uh, we, We find I find it a joy to work on projects and understand the problems that engineers face and try to solve them. But two heads are better than one in some respects. And it's it's good to just sit down, collaborate, work through an actual problem that's been faced and then understand it. And once you've understood it, we can come up with a, a problem to solve. But I'd also say that that collaboration needs to not only extend to product manufacturers, it needs to extend to other councils. It needs to extend to ecologists, other highway professionals and people that have actually achieved exemplary schemes in the past and always look to the past to understand where you're going in the future is the best way to describe it. And I think that reaching out to fellow professionals through LinkedIn, just through shows, anywhere you can go, is is kind of fundamental. I know that in the society we live in, in some respects, we're, we're in competition with each other, which is considering the problems we face, we should all be collaborating, to be honest. But try and find like-minded people who are interested in these subjects who really just want to help and that will really push us along and understand that we can we can all work together for the greater good and really find the solutions to the problems we face. Finally, Adam, if I was to give you £100,000 to kickstart a new research project in, in this area that we've been, we've been talking about today, where would you invest it? It's a, it's a really tough question to answer that, to be honest. And um, what I would like to see is I'd like to have more monitoring of particular schemes to understand what works and i want to see or utilize it for the variety of planting and so having a taking a scheme and you already got the infrastructure being paid for the roads being put in but having the wetland area and you know all the swales that go with it and not actually paying for that but paying paying for the planting that goes with it and the biodiversity measures and the continued monitoring after that a lot of the time what we see and I'm not I don't want to I'm not discrediting anybody or really trying to criticize uh, anybody from ecologists or anybody who actually plants vegetation on these particular schemes is quite often it's quite a desert or we let the natural environment take hold when really we should be thinking about the density and diversity and different habitats that we can create from a project and the diversity of habitats and stop thinking so linearly as well in terms of we often think in straight lines in engineering when really nature doesn't really work like that. You don't you rarely see a straight line in nature and we really need to have a diversity of different species and all that kind of stuff. So I'd like to work on a project with that £100,000 to integrate a variety of different suds and nature-based solutions features with different planting and then monitor that planting after to see how it's encouraged or generated that biodiversity net gain on the site. 
and effectively manage the water as well. We like to bring stuff on Highways Voices that teaches, and that's definitely what we've had this week. Excellent stuff there from Adam Kane at ACO Water Management. Now, this is the first of a series of three podcasts we're going to be working with ACO on, so keep a lookout for the others in the weeks to come. That's it for this week's Highways Voices, and now I've pressed upload on this pre-record. I'm off back to the pool, and I'll join you next week. Bye for now. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 